you have your Bible, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We started last week this series, Love and Marriage, Love and... Please, Mitch, don't do that again. All right. Uh, We started last week this series. We're going to continue it for a few more weeks. Sadly, I think all of us have seen it happen. A man makes his move on a married woman. Or a woman makes her move on a married man. Woos him away, woos her away from their spouse, leading to a divorce and devastation to the spouse and to any children left behind. We've got a phrase for that kind of person. We call that person a homewrecker. Someone who moves in on a married person and wrecks the home. And while that's the precise meaning of the phrase, I think think we would all agree that there are many other homewreckers out there. Family Life Ministries has been working with families now for decades. They have identified five threats to a healthy, thriving, and lasting marriage. And certainly there's more than five, huh? We could come up with a long list of things that would threaten our marriages. But their research, their experience says these are five biggies. If we think about these five, we can simply think about them as strategies of Satan as he seeks to take down our marriages. If he can, he will destroy your marriage and mine. If he can't destroy it, he'll at least try to derail it. His aim is to kill it, but if he can't do that, maybe he can cripple it. And if family life is right about these five, then you and I need to have a good response, if you will, to these strategies of the enemy that seek to bring our marriages down. In Ephesians chapter 5, we saw last week, maybe this clicker is going to work, um, We saw in chapter 5, verse 22, down through 33, this vision of marriage. In verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And so we saw this vision of a husband who is the head of his wife, the servant leader, the wife who is the helper, the servant lover, the arrow, we call the arrow of initiation. The husband is not over the wife, they are side by side. But God has called the husband to be the head, the servant leader of his family. And the husband is to love his wife. We saw it over and over and over again just in this passage that we read. He is to lead her, to sacrifice for her, to care for her, and the wife is to submit to her husband's leadership, to support him, respect him, to follow him. And that a husband and wife, a a head and a helper, a servant leader and a servant lover, they complement one another in God's wonderful design, and for a lifetime, they work it out together. I showed you a little cartoon from Adam Ford last week. I want to show you another one this morning. Wives, submit to your own husbands. What does that mean? It means I choose to follow my husband's loving leadership. People hear the words, wives, submit, and immediately go full Joan of Arc. Of course, of course. But he and I are equals. We love each other, and we work together as a team. If it comes down to it, though, he gets the final say. And I trust him. So yeah, he's the leader of our family. Is it difficult for me sometimes? Sure. But it's beautiful, God-honoring and effective, and very countercultural in a world that tells me my marriage is all about meeting my needs. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What does that mean? It means I'm charged by God to lay down my life for the good of my wife. Jesus gave his all for his people, and so I'm called to give my all for my wife, doing all I can to love, lead, serve, protect, and provide for her while placing her comfort and needs above my own. I'm accountable to God for how I lead my family, and my personal walk with Christ directly affects them. So yeah, that's my job, to accept responsibility, work hard, and sacrifice for the good of my wife and family. It's very countercultural in a world that tells me marriage is all about meeting my needs. Our marriage really is pretty countercultural, isn't it? Yep. Thank God. Yep. That's the beautiful vision of marriage a husband and a wife, a helper, a head and a helper, a servant leader, a servant lover. A husband loving her, a wife submitting to his kind and loving leadership, but the reality is Satan seeks to destroy and derail this. We just read in Ephesians 5 about this beautiful vision of marriage, then talks about children and fathers, and then the slave and master relationship, and then look at chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
In chapter 5, he talks about a beautiful vision of marriage and family. And in chapter 6, Satan's trying to destroy you. Paul would say there is a devil and there are demons. The rulers, the authorities, the world forces, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Those words, authorities, rulers, may well speak to some sense of rank and authority and capability among this unseen world. They are invisible, but they are real. And they are against us, against you. They oppose, they scheme. As Peter would say, they prowl about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. They are scheming our demise. And I think with the context so close together, we could say scheming to destroy the beautiful vision of marriage, the oneness and the intimacy that is meant to be between a husband and a wife. If he can break the oneness, insert isolation, and have it grow over time, he can take us out. Again, Family Life says there's five biggies that we've got to watch out for. And I've tried to craft some responses to those. It's my best effort. If you can come up with better, go for it. The first one is this. Let's be flexible and make necessary adjustments throughout our marriage because the reality is that Satan uses difficult adjustments to destroy or derail our marriage. Some of these are painful adjustments for married couples like contrasting backgrounds, right? You come into marriage and you realize, boy, we've got different values. Maybe one of the spouses loves to be active and loves to be productive. The other spouse loves to chill, loves to rest, loves relationship more than, we don't have to be super productive. We can just chill with one another. Sometimes in a marriage, come with contrasting religious backgrounds. Some, it's Christian and non-Christian. Others, it's Protestant background, Catholic background. This denomination, that denomination, and those differing backgrounds can make for some painful adjustments. Sometimes it's different financial backgrounds. Maybe one spouse grew up upper middle class. Maybe another spouse grew up quite poor. And that brings some different things to the table between the relationship. Maybe there's different family history there. This was one of the things for Tara and me and the adjustments that we had to make. My mama and daddy together for a long, long time. Tara coming from a broken home. Past relationships, painful experiences within the family. There's those contrasting backgrounds that a husband and a wife bring together, and it can make for some painful adjustments. And the reality is that while those painful adjustments maybe happen a lot in those early years, they can still happen, right? And Satan would love to take advantage of them. Some of you might look back and say, you know what, we, we got married for superficial reasons. 
Sometimes the feelings were so strong and so exciting. He's the most wonderful guy in the whole wide world. This is going to be awesome from day one and forever. And the feelings were so... And you got married, and so quickly those feelings go. Maybe you got married for sexual attraction or even premarital involvement. She looked good. He looked great. And yet once you get married and things begin to happen, the body changes. Prof. Hendricks used to talk about guys who have furniture disease where their chest falls into their drawers. It happens, right? I so appreciate everybody saying, man, you look good. And I said, what does that mean for what I used to look like after, you know? I've lost 50 pounds, which is great. But what, did I, what do I want here? You know. Maybe some of you look back and say, you know what? We got married. I got married. Just family pressure. When are you going to get married? When are you going to get married, Grandma? When are you going to get married? And finally just got married. Or some of you were looking to escape from something in your life. And if I'll get married, then that'll fix it. And so you look back or you look now and you go, you know what, superficial motives for why we got married in the first place and that, things are so different than we thought. You got to be able to look at that and trust in the sovereignty of God that he's in your marriage and you all are married for a reason and that he wants to, to take those adjustments that you've had to make over the years and still making and not let the enemy just continue to breed isolation. And obviously there are different expectations that you and I may have brought into our marriage and it was unexpected adjustments. What roles are we going to play between husband and spouse? Who's going to do the dishes? Who's going to clean up? Who's going to do the finances? How are we going to discipline the children? How are we going to do this, that, or the other? Expressions of love. You know, some just need a high five. That's all I need, and I'm good to go. Others need much more than a high five. We need a hug, and we need to talk, and we need to snuggle, and those sorts of things. Different expectations related to sexuality and plans for the future. Where are we going to live? How long will we stay in this home? Will we ever move closer to family? There's just adjustments that have to be made in marriage. Because Satan is looking to take those things, those painful adjustments, those shocking adjustments, those unexpected adjustments... And say, yeah, it's not what you thought it was going to be, is it? Y'all are different. You got different values. You got different expectations. You got different this, that, and the other. Y'all aren't meant for each other. You can't do this. You'll never thrive together. You got married for the wrong reasons. This ain't right. He loves to exploit it. Nobody else butts head like y'all butt heads. Nobody else has disagreements over this. Y'all are the only ones who have these kind of problems and these kind of struggles. It must be that you're not meant to be married. He'd love it. So we gotta be flexible. 
I love Proverbs 14.4. It's kind of funny. It says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. What does that mean? You got a manger outside or you got a, you got a barn outside. And if there's no oxen in there, it's clean. In other words, there's no manure to clean up. If you don't want manure, don't get oxen. But the proverb goes on, but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. So if you want to make revenue, though, you got to have oxen. But if you have oxen, you're going to have manure. So you, if, you wanna, if you want the goodness that comes from having the oxen, you got to be flexible because there's going to be some mess. Much strength comes by the glory of marriage. But if you're going to get married, there's going to be some manure, right? It's just going to happen. There's going to be some adjustments that have to be made throughout your marriage. And so we need to be flexible and make those necessary adjustments along the way, knowing that Satan would love to just create more and more isolation through these difficulties that we might have, but be flexible with one another. Make the necessary adjustments that you need to along the way. Number two, resist the culture's vision of a 50-50 vision of marriage because Satan exploits our culture's vision of marriage, trying to destroy or derail. What do we mean by 50-50 marriage? It's this idea that acceptance of your spouse is based upon their performance. You do your part, and I'll do mine. What's the problem with that? What if I don't do my part? Which is always the case with sinners. If your marriage is, you do your part and I'll do mine, well, what happens when she doesn't do her part? Because she's not always going to do her part. Now you've got this reacting marriage. Well, she did this, so I'm not doing that. He didn't do this, so I'm not going to do... He did... So I, you do your part and I'll do mine. But if you don't do your part, I'm not doing mine. Giving is based upon marriage. I will give her affection if I feel like she deserves it. I will meet his needs if I feel like he deserves it. And so the... The giving of love and affection is based upon whether or not your spouse has lived up to your expectation. Motivation for action based upon how one feels. If I'm feeling good about her, then I'm good to go as a husband. But if I'm not feeling so good about her, it's it's destined to self-destruct, right? Because we cannot meet the expectations of our spouses all the time. Sometimes we don't even know what they are. She's got these expectations. He has no idea what they are. 
he doesn't meet those expectations, and now she's upset, and he didn't even know what he had done wrong. And just switch it. It goes both ways. Because of our sinfulness, we tend to focus on the weaknesses of our spouse. So if we're in this 50-50 marriage, and she's got to perform in order for me to love her, but I got a problem. I'm a sinner, and so I'm bound to be looking for her problems and how she falls short. And it just becomes a mess. It seems to me that the vision of biblical marriage is not 50-50, it's 100-100, right? Or it's just 100. I deal with my responsibility before Christ. She deals with her responsibility before Christ, and my responsibility is underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ to love my wife, to lead her, to sacrifice for her, to care for her, despite her performance or her merit. She is supposed to be biblically 100% in. She, under the leadership of Christ, 100% in to submit herself to my leadership. She will respect me and follow me and support me, never follow me into sin. But her calling to obey Christ as my wife is not based upon my performance. I'm to faithfully fulfill my responsibility. She's to faithfully fulfill hers. And as both of these in the context in the uh, cartoons, is it always easy? Of course not. Do we fall short all the time? Of course. But husbands, you and I are to love our wives, period. Period. Has nothing to do with whether or not she does this or does that or does that. It's not based upon her performance, not based upon her merit. It's based upon what Christ has called you and me as husbands to do in relationship to our wives. And of course, is why we thank God for Jesus Christ who died for all of our sins because we are sinners and we fall short of fulfilling our responsibilities. But... Christ has died for our sins. The power of sin's been broken. The Spirit of God is within us. And we can grow and we can obey God. If not perfectly, if not completely, we can love our wives as Christ loved the church. Here's another. We need to anticipate and persevere through inevitable difficulties. Why? You know, because Satan is going to try and take advantage of the difficulties of life. We all know that the difficulties are coming. They have come, and more are coming. It has nothing to do with our differing backgrounds, nothing to do with motivations we might have brought into the marriage, nothing to do with butting heads over marital expectations. These are the trials of life that smack us in the face. Y'all know Mike Tyson, right? He's famous for saying what? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right? And, and maybe we got into marriage and we had a good plan and this is going to be, we're going to love each other. It's going to be so, oh, right. And now what do you do? And the reality is that we need to 
and surely boxers do, part of the plan going into the ring is at some point in this fight, I'm going to get hit in the face. And I ought not be surprised when it happens. I need to anticipate that I'm going to get smacked. And certainly as we go into our marital life and continue in our marital life, we need to remember that we're going to get punched in the face here or there by the inevitable difficulties of life. They are coming. Even those of you who've been married 40, 50 years, hardships are still coming. Illness and disease, loss of job, loss of a child, or a thousand other difficult things. And so the first problem would be to fail to anticipate that, to be rocked by it when hardships come. We need to anticipate. We know that we live in a fallen world and that they're coming. And then the second deal is not only to anticipate that they're going to come, but when they do come, to persevere. Not to try to suppress or run to escape the pressure of them, not to blame others or attack when life is going very, very hard, but to stand hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, together we can trust God through this. The word for the New Testament saint in the New Testament related to trials, it's, it's almost in all of the texts. Hupomone. Mone means to remain. Hupo means underneath. It means to remain underneath, to stand underneath the pressure of the hardship. We translate to persevere. Romans 5 talks about trials, persevere. Romans 8 talks about trials, persevere. James 1 talks about trials, persevere. Hebrews 10 talks about trials, persevere. 1 Thessalonians 1, persevere. It is the word for the New Testament saint and thus for the New Testament Christian marriage in relationship to trials. Hang on. Trust the Lord. Persevere. And the beauty in this context is together. Together with your spouse because Satan would love to take those difficulties and just exploit them, amplify them, and create isolation in the marriage and bring you apart. Number four. That's the best I could come up with on this one. Fight for contentment in your life and marriage. Here's the fourth that family life says can be a killer. Is that Satan will capitalize on extramarital affairs, not the only kind that you're thinking of. 
They say an extramarital affair is an escape from reality or a search for fulfillment outside of the marriage. And we get there because we begin to think that we deserve happiness and full fulfillment. And we realize we're married to a sinner and in our best moments we remember that we too are a sinner. And so marriage doesn't always provide the the life and the fulfillment that we think we deserve here and now. The theologians, here's the fancy word for that, realized eschatology. We begin to think that we're supposed to be experiencing all the goodness of the age to come right now. That eschatology, the end times, I'm looking for them to be realized here and now. And so I get shaken up when things aren't exactly the way I wish they were. I'm not as satisfied as I wish I was. I'm not as happy as I wish I was. I'm not as fulfilled as I wish I was. I'm, I'm wanting heaven on earth. And that ain't happening. Because she's a sinner. And oh yeah, I'm a sinner. And then there's difficulties around. Eh. But I deserve happiness, fulfillment, and satisfaction now. And so I'm going to go looking for it elsewhere. And some will do it in activities. They call it an activity affair. I'm just going to stay so busy so I don't have to face the issues of my struggling marriage. Materialism affair. Mall therapy. We might call it Amazon therapy now. If I'll buy the newest thing, the coolest thing, the best thing, or just anything, I'll feel better. I'll be happy. I'll be fulfilled. I'll be, I'll be significant. And so we'll spend our money. Career affair. When a career becomes more satisfying than the marriage, more and more time is spent in the career and, ho- and progressing in the career. A family affair, focusing on kids, we lose sight of each other. A fantasy affair, which in- can include pornography or romance novels or those sorts of things where we'll just go in our mind to a happy place. Ultimately, any of those could lead to a physical affair. And maybe in each of them, you're not necessarily running from your marriage, but you're just running to something else to make you happy because you deserve to be happy. You deserve to be fulfilled. And the marriage relationship, you know, doesn't always deliver on that. So maybe my career will. Maybe spending will. Maybe this will. Maybe that will. Maybe. So I'll have an affair with that, an affair with that, an affair with that, because I'm looking for the significance and the happiness now. I'm looking to find life. We've got to be careful of that, Right? We're going to fight for contentment. To be thankful for what we have, not always covetous for what we don't. One more. 
selflessly regard your spouse as more important than you. Family life says the fifth killer is selfishness. Every one of us has a natural tendency to be self-centered and thus destructive in our relationships. That's the essence of sin. We, we turn away from God and others to ourselves. That's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law summed up in those two commands. God and others. And yet we turn inward to be self-centered. And our culture today promotes it and encourages it. So you add the natural tendency of sin within our heart and a culture that encourages it and it can breed a mess. We married with stars in our eyes when we don't see this reality, right? Because when, when you're dating, everything's great. You've got n- really no responsibilities. Generally, you were young, maybe you were in college, and you really had no responsibility at all. And you could go out on dates, and you can have a whole lot of fun, and this is just going to be great because this is all we have to do, and there's no pressure And early on in the relationship, we show appreciation to each other and there's so approval, so freely given, everything's awesome. But then we get married and lo and behold, I'm a sinner. She's a sinner. And we start to have responsibility and pressure and we don't so quickly show the appreciation and the approval of one another and love one another and care for one another and serve one another and the like. We start looking in on ourselves. And by looking in on ourselves, we begin to get critical of our spouse's weaknesses or mistakes or failures. They didn't meet our expectations. Our disappointment, disapproval of our spouse can lead him or her to feel rejection, discouragement, anger, bitterness. And that can even lead to lower performance, if you will. And our selfish nature in the midst of all that justifies that our rejection of our spouse is legit. I mean, she's not doing what she's supposed to do. The Apostle Paul calls us to so much more than that, right? Right? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Regard her as more important than you. Regard him as more important than you. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for his interests, but also for her interest. If family life is right, we got to be on the alert. If, if Paul is right, and we know he is, Satan is scheming 
He's prowling about trying to destroy your marriage. And if he can't destroy it, derail it. If he can't kill it, to cripple it. If he can take the oneness and create isolation and see it grow over time, he's going to try. And he will exploit and he will use all that we have just talked about. Well, we can do it. Not in ourselves, but in the strength of the Lord, we can do it. In chapter 6, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. Well, if you know it, but in the book of Ephesians, you get chapters 1, 2, and 3, where Paul just goes off on the amazing grace of God that's come our way through Jesus. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, in light of all that God has done for us through Christ, therefore, walk like this. And five times over, he uses the word walk. Walk, 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 walk. Until he gets to 610, and then he says, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. Resist. And you and I can, because of the Lord, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Receive strength from an outside source. It's a passive verb. Be, be strong in the Lord. Receive strength from an outside source. But it's an imperative. We're supposed to do it. And so I think it... At least it means that you and I are to seek God and present ourselves to him for strengthening. Oh God, I hear you. I, I hear what you are calling me to be as a husband. And I see that Satan would love to destroy the oneness that my wife and I enjoy. Help me to be strong in you and to resist his efforts to destroy my marriage. Oh God, a wife might pray. I understand what you're calling me to be as wife to my husband. In my own strength, Lord, I can't do it. But in the strength that you provide, I can stand firm and I can resist. Would you please give me the strength? Be strong in the Lord. In chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, when Paul was praying for them, he wanted 
these Ephesians to know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ. The strength that God provides here in verse chapter 6, verse 10 is mighty strength. It's his all-powerful, absolute, unparalleled, unstoppable power. So may God help you and me for the rest of our lives until death do us part. in the Lord to be strong and keep our dukes up if you will against the schemes of the devil oh God help me I am not going to let him destroy my marriage I'm gonna, we're going to trust you and we're going to stay at it in the strength of the Lord let's pray Father in heaven, as we um, remembered Christ earlier, we remember him again as the one who has died for all of our sins, all of our sins as husbands, all of our sins as wives. Those of us who know Christ, those sins are forgiven. All of our past sins, the sins of today and even our sins of tomorrow, because of Christ, forgiven. And we are so grateful. And we are so grateful for your word that paints for us a vision of marriage and calls us up wonderful things, good things, noble things for husbands and wives. And we recognize our enemy would love to destroy not just our faith as Christians, he would love to destroy the oneness of our marriages. And he's scheming about it. And he's prowling about because of it. We ask, Lord, for your mighty strength to be at work in all the husbands here, Redeemer. That we husbands would see your word and the nobility and the goodness and the Christ-likeness that you were calling us to and we would love it. We would see it. We would honor it. And by your strength, we would pursue it. And oh God, that you would help us to do that for the rest of our lives. And I pray for all the wives here. That you would help them and strengthen them. In your calling upon their lives. In their marriage. Lord, protect us from the evil one. And help us in the fight of faith for the sake of our marriages. Might they be filled 
with love. Leading, sacrificing, care. Filled with gentle, joyful submission. Supporting, respecting, following. Filled with friendship. Filled with laughter. Filled with perseverance. Filled with joy. Oh, Lord, we need you. We look to you. We want to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We pray in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.